You all believe with me? Yeah. We're on healing part four. Let's pray and jump into it. Heavenly Father, I thank You and praise You for the anointing. I thank You for giving me utterance. Father, as we set our faith in agreement to hear from You today, I thank You that You give raiment to each individual. Father, and You'd speak to uh, folks exactly what they need to hear, not just in the area of healing, but these principles can be applied to every area of life. And I thank You for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We saw this. I'm going to hit these real quick because I, I want to get to the meat of what we're getting to today. Daniel 11.32 says, The people that know their God shall be strong and do exploits. So a byproduct of knowing your Father is that you'll be strong and do exploits. Hosea 4 verse 6 says, My people or my family are destroyed for lack of knowledge. So the flip side of that is if you don't get to know Him, you could end up being destroyed. So just for selfish reasons, you should get to know your Father. We saw this in 2 Peter 1 and verse 2. The grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the what? Knowledge of God and our, uh, Jesus our Lord. So if you want grace and peace multiplied to you, it comes as a byproduct of knowledge. Peace we saw was an exemption from the rage and havoc of war. Uh, real quick, success also uh, is part of that peace package, and it's success however you define it. Grace is the uh, Greek word charis, or we get the word charisma from. It's also translated favorite, means advantages and privileges. Advantages are favorable uh, circumstances for you, and privileges is private law, and it means immunity. And we saw that we were immune from the first thing was we were immune from the wrath of God. And if you can't get that one down, you really can't go forward. And that's where most Christians, they can't get over the fact that God's not standing there with a bug smacker ready to beat them down when they think or someone else tells them that they don't measure up. You're immune from that. We saw those scriptures that God has not appointed us to wrath. That, all the, that if we believe on Jesus, all of God's wrath was taken out on Jesus so that you're immune from it that you're perfect in His eyesight, that you don't have to do anything or not do another checklist, avoid a checklist to measure up. Okay, So uh, we said, what else are we immune from? We saw this in Galatians 3.13, that Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. He made a payment to recover us from the power of the curse of the law. And we saw that the curse of the law, it, it covers everything from finances to relationships and sickness. And we just kind of honed in on sickness because there was four verses in uh, Deuteronomy 28, I think it's 58 to 64, it talks about every sickness that's in the book and every sickness that ain't in the book. All the sickness that mankind knew about and all the new ones that we don't know about yet that are coming down the pike. Because I mean, you know, there's new strains of stuff coming out every day. Hell's trying to figure out another way to kill us. Every time we stop one and we stop one strain, hell will twist it and, and, and try and attack from another. But, because what Jesus did, we're redeemed from that. So then that brings up the question, why do Christians still get sick? If we're redeemed from it, why do we still get sick? Right? I mean, wouldn't you want to know, why do I still get sick? Why do I have to fight off sickness if we're redeemed from the power of that? First, the first uh, level of it is, in Galatians 3 and verse 10, just a few verses before um, uh, where we just saw that Christ redeemed us from it, says, as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse. curse. So if you're, uh, let me just put it in plain English, if you feel like you are under any obligation because the law was an obligation to perform certain acts and to not do other certain acts, if you're under any obligation to think that you've got to be right with God, right, to have right standing, if you have to do stuff, you have placed yourself under the law and now you're under the curse. So if you have to do anything, then what Jesus did isn't enough because Jesus is the one that redeemed us from the curse. And if you feel like you are obligated to do anything, you've placed yourself back under the curse. And that is probably 95 to 98% of why Christians get sick still because ministers since 300 A.D. have placed the body of Christ under obligation and have put the body of Christ back under the curse. Manipulating your behavior, telling you have to do this, you don't... And, it, and it's very subtle. 
It's very subtle what they do. It could be anything from writing your tithe check, if you're obligated to write your tithe check, or else. And I know ministers that'll do it. Someone will call them for help, and the first thing they ask, are you tithing? Because I'm not praying for you. We're not going to minister the word to you unless I know that you're tithing somewhere. And then they'll say, are you giving offerings after that? Because you know God can't help you if you're not tithing. You know, tithing's the bottom. What are you doing? You're putting people back under the curse, and you're taking away what Jesus did. He made the payment so that we would have the power of the curse or the law removed from us, and then we put ourselves right back under it. And really, it's minister's fault, but you know what? It's our fault too, because we have the Word, we can get into it for ourselves, and our spirit would never, our conscience would never agree to that. It should, it, you should be like, ick, that you're under obligation to do anything. If anybody's, you should, inside, there should be like a scratchy feeling, like that ain't right. You ever have that when you hear some of this stuff? Some people, and they sit under it for years because they don't really know what that scratchy feeling is. So don't, don't put yourself back under the curse by trying to build your own equity with God. Doing the good checklist and refusing you know, to do the bad one. Cuss, drink, smoke, or chew. You can't do that, right? Don't do that because it will put you back under the power of the curse. So all right, let's say that everybody here, we already don't do that. We know that Jesus did is enough. We're not obligated. We haven't obligated ourselves. We're past that. We know that what Jesus did, we're right. We know we got equity from God. Why else would we get sick? Well, the next one is, we just saw that Hosea 4 and verse 6 says, My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. You might not know that healing belongs to you. You might not know that it belongs to you today. And you may not know how to get it to show up in your life. And we've been studying there's certain steps that you could take in order to get healing to show up. And I'm watching this each week, and I don't plan it this way. I just take, give it how I get it. And I'm watching each thing build. That Here's the first level thing we got to do, and then there's the next thing, and the next thing. And, and I'm, uh, it's starting to come together so that you could actually have, I don't want to say a checklist, but it's kind of like the pilot's list, you know, when they make sure that, they, you know, are, is the oil up, is the gas good, all the stuff that a pilot does before we're starting to get that, we're starting to get that, so that you could, like, look down the thing and remind yourself, am I doing this, 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 and this, are all these things in order, then I should be uh, getting what the Bible says that I should have, which is healing in your body. We saw this in Isaiah 53, 5. That he was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities, the chastisement of our peace was on him, and with his stripes we are present tense healed, and this was written 750 years before Jesus took stripes on his back. So, okay, before Jesus took stripes, they are healed, they were present tense healed. So what do you think it might be now? It was probably past tense, but I'll show you in the scripture that is. I like this, this is Matthew, one of the disciples of Jesus. He's writing this right after a whole bunch of miracles took place. And the Holy Spirit quickened to his remembrance what Isaiah said. So he's going to quote Isaiah, which we just quoted. It's a different verse, though. He said that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying himself, Jesus took our infirmities and bare our sickness. And we saw that that word infirmities in the Greek is any deteriorated capacity to live life, especially feeble from age. So it not only just covers sickness and disease, it covers the old football injury, right, the knee. It covers eyeglasses, allergies, anything that would diminish your capacity to enjoy life. Jesus took that, past tense. Took it. Now, if you didn't know that he took it, you might be willing to accept it. And then even if you do know he took it, you might not know how to get rid of the infirmity because you might take it back. If he already took it and you're hanging on to it, and we talked about this last week a little bit, don't take ownership of your infirmity. Don't say my rheumatism or my, what, in my allergies. Or my, you fight it off. I'm fighting off this. I'm fighting off that. I'm trying to get rid of this. Don't, say, don't take ownership of something. Don't take ownership of a symptom. Don't take ownership of an infirmity in our life. 
And once it sets up shop, it's just like a stray cat. You ever feed that thing three times, it ain't going away. You're going to have a fight on your hand to get it out. So a lot of us, we've had infirmities set up shop in our body, and it's been there for a long time, and now it's going to be a fight to get it out, which is why I say we should Barney Fife stuff and nip it, nip it, nip it on the front end. It's the very first thing, and we're going to see some of that today. 1 Peter 2.24, am I going too fast? This is all review. I just want to get to where we're, you know, I'm like the little engine that could, right? Who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree, that we being dead to sin should live under righteousness, by whose stripes ye were healed. Peter wrote this in 64 A.D., about 31 years after Jesus took stripes on his back. And now, if you notice, it's not present tense anymore, it's past tense. And we saw this, that Jesus and God the Father and the Holy Spirit are not going to do one more thing to heal you. Jesus took stripes one time 2,000 years ago. He ain't, every time you get the sniffles, going to go get striped again and get beaten and scourged again so you can get healed. So don't ask Him to heal me, God, because He said, I already did. Found that? I don't know why God heals one and doesn't heal another. He healed everybody. He already paid for the healing. It's available for everybody. It's already done. Done. He ain't going to do one more thing. So if He's not going to do one more thing, then that means it's on whose end? Are. So what are the stuff that i got to do to hook up with that? Mark 6, we saw this. This is with Jesus. He uh, made, turned the water into wine. And that's pretty cool, right? So then he goes to the Passover, and a lot of miracles start happening after he teaches. He heals a lot of people. And then if you, right, all of a sudden found that you had healing power, what would be the first thing that you do? Go home. And that's what he did. He went home to mama and daddy and brothers and sisters and all the people he went to high school with, you know, because he could go help them. He could help them. So he goes into Nazareth to bring help, and it said they didn't honor him. They were offended at him. So it says that he could not, in Mark 6, verse 5, do there any mighty work. Did he say he wouldn't do it? No, he couldn't do it. He was handcuffed. He couldn't help them, except he, saved hand, uh, he laid hands on a few sickly folk. He got a few sniffles healed. And he marveled. It says he was numb with shock in the Greek because of their unbelief. This is the only time that Jesus took healing to somebody and after that, he learned his lesson that you can't take healing to anybody. They've got to come to God for it. You all follow that? He never, he never again after this went to take healing to anybody. He didn't track anybody down. So he said, why don't we just go to the hospitals and start healing folks? Jesus didn't. He tried to go to his own hometown. He tried to get some healing done in his family. Not done. He said they didn't honor him. They were offended at him. And so we saw this, that... Jesus is handcuffed. Now, we saw that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. If He couldn't heal them because of their unbelief yesterday, that means He can't do it today, and that means from now to eternity, He still couldn't do it, right? So, again, here's the first key, is that you've got to believe that He'll do it. Now, do you know why they didn't believe it? It's because they didn't honor Him. Most people in our society, we've been taught to honor who before the Word of God when it comes to medical issues? The doctor. We honor the doctor. We honor what the doctor says. We want to know what the doctor says. And if we find a doctor that we're not sure that we honor what he says, we go get a second opinion. And that's all it is, is a what? An opinion. And God's going to tell you the truth. And the truth is that Jesus took stripes on his back that you were healed 2,000 years ago. You're already healed. But because of who we honor. Now look, this is huge. This is huge, who you honor. I know, man, there's people in my family that have been in the Word and ministry for a lot of decades, and they will not honor the Word of God before they honor what a doctor tells them. So I want you to make this connection, that what and who you honor dictates what you believe. 
Do you understand? That whatever you honor is what you're going to believe in your life. If you honor... Now look, that's why... uh, We'll put it this way. In In the news industry, right... Well, do you ever watch any of those cable shows? They always put up what their credentials are of somebody who's a talking head. They got this THD, the PhD, the, they're this expert, that expert, and they put like underneath the screen and subtitles what their credentials are. You know what they're trying to do? Put themselves in a place, in one little blurb is trying to put themselves in a place of honor so that you'll believe what they're saying. That's how this whole society is rigged to. To get them, and that's what marketing is, and everything. we try to get our message to put ourselves in a position of honor. That's what branding is all about, that you would honor one brand over another brand. And so you'll believe what this brand tells you, and you'll go purchase their stuff. This is the same, this is, and, and you know what? We don't honor God. Let's just be honest about it. And we sang that this morning, I honor you in all that I do. That isn't about, oh, praise Jesus, praise Jesus, praise Jesus, and you just go around saying praise Jesus and be blessed, and oh, I'm honoring God. No, what it means is that... And no matter what happens in my life, whatever comes along, what I do is I take what God says first, that's honor, put him in the top position, I run everything through the filter of the word. I don't care what facts are, I don't care what circumstances are, I'm going to go with what God says. And if he says I'm healed, somebody's lying, and if I honor God, then I'm going to believe him, and I'm going to think, well, someone else is lying besides God, it ain't God lying. Not why is God doing this to me, why hasn't God healed me? Because all those things means you're honoring something other than the Word, because the Word, and I just gave you three scriptures, the past tense, now, He already took everything that would deteriorate your capacity to live life, and He took every sickness and every disease from you. That's the first step. This is the first step of our airplane checklist, our pilot checklist, if you want, is who am I honoring? Do I honor the symptom? Do I honor my body? Because a lot of people honor their body. What do I feel like? What do I feel this morning? I feel like I have this. I feel like I have that. Symptom, and what you do is you give honor to that. Y'all tracking with this? Is this helping anybody? Because what happens is, it's very subtle, is we honor God, then it starts slipping and slipping and slipping. And pretty, I mean, if we're honest, we don't really honor God or His Word. Because honor isn't just about giving an award. (laughs) It's about we put it in first place. First place. Then we saw this. He leaves Nazareth and now he goes to Capernaum and he gets to Canaan on the way to Capernaum and he meets a nobleman and the nobleman was at the wedding and he saw the water turned into wine and he says, my son is dying, could you heal him? And Jesus said this to him, he said, except you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. So here's the next thing that I know. And this, Jesus, you know, when he says something, I kind of perk up and listen. This is a law. If we don't see something, we don't believe it. Isn't that true? We need to see something. We saw that last week. The woman with an issue of blood, she's, she was the first one, had out-of-the-box faith. She said, if I could touch his garment, I'll be healed. She does it, and then three weeks later, you got people in another city by the multitudes touching his garment. She had like a little cult following. She did it, we could do it. Since they saw it happen for her, now everybody can do it. And I'll say this, that we honor what we see more than we honor anything else of our sensory input. Isn't that true? You'll honor what you see before you honor what you hear. And then if you didn't see it, and then you hear something, you're going you're to take inventory, do I honor this source? Is this source reliable? 
Is this, a reliable, is this somebody that I can trust? And if it's somebody that you have a long track record with, that they tell you the truth, when they tell you something that's so crazy that you would really need to see to believe it, but you weren't there, but they, they, you'll tend to believe them because you honor them as a source. You all found this? So if you can't see the sign and the wonder to believe, then what I said last, uh, last couple of weeks is you've got to come up with your own process. How do I get there one little step at a time? And that's what that lady with the issue of blood did. We went through that last week, how she came up with her own process to when she got to the end of the process, what could she believe? And she dialed it down to mustard seed faith, not watermelon faith, right? Because a lot of people, we start out with watermelon, home run faith, and we need to get it down to like, could you get a walk or a single? Or are you baseball fans? Y'all following what I'm saying? Okay, now, so that's the next thing in our, in our little pilot's you know, checklist. Now, in the middle of this story that we're going to talk about today was sandwiched the story from last week of the lady with the issue of blood. So I, I hit her first because in the middle of that, of this story, here comes this lady with her process of faith where she had to track down on Google what Jesus' concert tour was so she could meet him. Right? And then get through security to touch it. Remember all that? Okay. So now in the middle of all that story happens, this, this happens in the front, and then she gets in the middle of the crowd, gets her healing, and then we're going to finish out this story. Now I got it up here. Uh, it, it's, it's recorded in three Gospels um, very shortly in Matthew. I'm going to go parallel side by side in Ma- uh, Mark 5 and Luke 8. And I put them up here so we could see, because there's some things in each one that I want to draw out that we could see that we wouldn't get the whole story from just one channel, as it were. So we're going to look at two networks today, Luke and Mark. Okay? And we're going to go split screen, all right? And we'll mute out one and hit the other as we go back and forth. Okay? Y'all, is that, is that cool? Now I'm totally, I have no idea where we're at over here. It doesn't matter. Okay, let's start with Mark, and then we'll, we'll jump back over. Okay, now, when Jesus was passed over again by ship unto the other side, now he comes from across Galilee back to Capernaum. He was at Capernaum, right? And uh, that's when he, uh, he touched um, Peter's mother-in-law. She had fever, and then he rebuked the fever, and she gets up, and then it was Sabbath, and then she made them Sunday dinner, and then all these people came, and they got healed, and he left. And when he left, he went on this little tour and started doing miracles. Now when he comes back, everybody's already been talking about him. They were waiting for him to come back. Here he comes back to the other side, and much people, they did what? Gathered unto him. Did he go to them? No, they came to him. They're waiting for him. Do you see? Here's another key. You've got to go get your healing. You've got to go to him. He already paid for it. He's not doing it, He's not doing it again. You've got to go get it. And he was nigh unto the sea. So he's right on the beach. Now look over here in Luke 8 and verse 40. It says, And it came to pass that when Jesus was returned, the people gladly received him, for they were all waiting for him. Here's two more things that we need to add. Not only were they gathered, but they were glad, right, when he showed up, and they were waiting. Waiting. They were waiting for him. Now, I think in our minds, and especially our popcorn, you know, microwave popcorn culture, that when we show up, we don't, we can't stand to wait for God more than about two and a half seconds. He's the creator of the universe. Get yourself in a spot and wait for him to get on your, get on his, you know, appointment book. Could you, you know, could you do that? Because I don't think that we're, you know, we're like, well, where's God? He ain't here in three seconds. He'll get there really quick. Really quick, you would never get an appointment with the President of the United States as fast as if you start waiting for God, how fast he'll show up. It ain't going to take three weeks. He'll be there in a few minutes. Don't worry. Then you'll know when his presence shows up. All right? Y'all following that? All right, back to Mark 5, verse 22. And behold, there came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and when he saw him, he fell at his feet. 
And I'm not going to read the one over in Luke because it really doesn't matter. What we need to know is right here is that this guy's a ruler of the synagogue. He is in charge. He's a religious leader, which this is a problem because the religious leaders shouldn't have been talking to Jesus because remember the scribes and the Pharisees, they don't like this guy because he's outside the religious box. Remember he sat in Moses, the chief seat in the synagogue after he read I'm anointed and all that, and then they tried to kill him. Not only does he come to him for help, and this is an amazing thing because don't do what he did. Don't wait till it's life and death for you before you go to Jesus and ask for help. See, if he got help on the front end, if he believed, I don't think that he would ever had this problem of we got to hit the panic button now. And so now he's worshiping. He don't care now because look, his social status is at risk. This is very public. There's a lot of people around him. All the cameras are there. CNN, right? MSNBC, if they're still in business, Fox, all those guys, they're there. And they're watching a ruler of this city come and lay, put his head on Jesus' feet and say, help me. Verse 23, And he besought him greatly, saying, My little daughter lies at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her that she may be healed and shall live. And then Luke 8, verse 42, it gives us a little thing. And he only had one daughter. She was about 12 years of age. And she lay dying. And But as Jesus went, people thronged him. And back in Mark 5, verse 24, and Jesus went with him and much people followed him and thronged him. So, apparently Jesus is going. Now, here's the gap. While he decides, alright, I'll go with you, they're thronging this rock star kind of crowd going through the streets and then the woman with the issue of blood gets healed and he turns around and says, who touched me? Remember that last week? And then it says, she told him all the truth, all the truth. I've been married 20 years. It could take a long time to get a 12-year story out. Now, think of this from J. Iris' point of view. Listen, if you're J. Iris and your 12-year-old daughter is dying, how many know you don't want to hear the 12-year-long story, epic saga of woman with the issue of blood? We got to go, Jesus. I'm glad she got her healing. We got a thing. My do- I need you to lay hands on my daughter and hear woman with issue of blood is telling how she went to this position and that position and for 12 years and she grew nothing but worse and she lost all of her money. Remember, she spent all of her living and yada, yada, yada. And if she did yada, it would have been good, but she didn't because she told all the truth. And here's Jay Iris with his 12-year-old daughter dying. Now, I don't know about you, but I would start to get a little perturbed. Like, could you shut up and email it to him or something? Tell him later. We got, we got to go. Now, while that's going on, while Jesus is speaking, He's talking to the lady with the issue of blood. We've stopped now. We're not going to Jairus' house. We're stopped talking about this. And He's talking to her. In the middle of her talking, here comes a, uh, a servant from the ruler of the synagogue's house and said, Thy daughter is dead. Why do you trouble the Master any further? And in Luke 8, verse 49, while he yet spake, there cometh one of the rulers of the synagogue's house and said, Your daughter is dead. Trouble not the master. He's like, Look, she's already gone. Stop wasting your time. Let's go home because we've got funeral arrangements to make. Now, they didn't have cell phones and all that, so I don't know how long it took this guy because the wife apparently dispatched somebody to go tell that the daughter is dead. Now, how long it took to find him? I don't know, but it took a while because as you're going to find out, there was already the wake going on by the time he got back. So it was at least an hour or more before he found this guy and said, look, she's already dead. Don't waste the Master's time anymore. Don't waste Jesus' time anymore. Now, 
Buckle up. I want you to hone in and focus on this because this right here is one of the major things that will decide and determine not just in healing but in any circumstance in life. When you first get the report of don't waste your time, it's over. She's dead. Whatever it is. Your finance is over. Your bankrupt. Whatever it is. But we're talking about healing, but you could apply it in any area of your life. Look at this. As soon in Mark 5, verse 36, as soon as Jesus heard, I want you to understand, Jesus understood. He's having a conversation with us. He understands the urgency of here's a bad report. He understands because as soon as he heard what this guy said, he turns the word that was spoken. He said to the ruler of the synagogue, be not afraid, only believe. He wouldn't let that guy talk. Do you know why? Because initial response, the first thing that comes out of your mouth is going to set the course for how this thing comes out. Circumstances don't dictate the outcome. It's your response. And really, I mean, if you think about that, that's really true. I mean, you could just, that ain't supernatural. However you respond to a situation determines how the outcome's going to be. If you get fired from a job, you can either go cry and ball haul and squall and go hide in the corner and be depressed and lose everything, or you can go look for another job. What's your response? You tracking? Same thing with healing. We don't lose our mind when we get to healing. Remember Jesus said, or the Lord said, come, let us reason together. Let's be reasonable. The reasonable thing is for you to understand that more what our circumstances are, how you respond to them is going to dictate how this thing turns out. And just because we're dealing with healing and something that you can't physically see and touch, that there's some kind of supernatural, there's power going, going to go happen here that you can't put your hands on. Don't drop your reason. Don't throw your reason out. Understand that how you respond is going to dictate the outcome to this. And when Jesus heard it, He answered him and said in Luke 8, verse 50, Fear not, believe only, and she shall be made whole. So not only does He say, don't be afraid and believe, then He tells her what the outcome is going to be. Jesus gives this guy the initial response because how many know that guy doesn't have it in him to make that initial response? So Jesus shuts him off right there. Now, do you remember over uh, in Proverbs 8? Let's look at a couple of scriptures because we saw this. Proverbs 18 and verse 21. We saw it last week. And then I just kind of want to track us through this a little bit. I'm going to slow down a little bit now because this is what the meat of what's, what we need to see here today. Proverbs 18 and verse 21. We all know it. We heard it a hundred million times. Death and life are in the power of the... Now, how many know this girl just died? <laughs> Whatever comes out of his mouth is going to decide whether she lives or dies. That's what Jesus is saying to him. And he tells him, don't be afraid, only believe, she'll be made whole. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Now, in Luke 1, let's just look at that. Because I want to tie in what happened here in Luke. This is like from the Christmas story. And I don't think that we really make the connection of what happened. We just think that's a really nice, cool little story. But let me set it up for you is that uh, 400 years go by at at the end of the Old Testament until now, and God doesn't have a prophet. He doesn't speak. There's total silence. Okay? So there's a couple that doesn't have a baby, and they've been believing for a baby for a long time. Y'all know this story? It's John the Baptist, Mom and Dad. Let's read it here in Luke 1, verse 5. And it said, in the days of Herod, the king of Judea, a certain priest named Zacharias of the course of Abia 
and his wife was the daughter of Aaron, or Aaron, I'm sorry, and her name was Elizabeth. So he's a priest. And they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances and blameless before the Lord. And they had no child because Elizabeth was barren and they both were now well stricken in years. Now, that sounds a lot like Abraham and Sarah, doesn't it? <laughs> so this has been done before. He shouldn't have a problem with this because he's already seen a sign and a wonder. And even if he hasn't seen it, he says he keeps all the commandments and ordinances and he's a priest so I know that he knows what the covenant is. And he obviously believes it because he's keeping all the words. So he shouldn't have a problem getting a baby here. Now, uh, and it came to pass in verse 8, while he executed the priest's office before God, in the order of his course, according to the custom of the priest's office, he was burning incense, and he went into the temple of the Lord. And there was a multitude of people outside, and they were praying at the time of incense, and there appeared unto him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zacharias saw it, he was troubled, and fear fell on him. I, I would be too, okay? I don't have a problem with that. You know, some guy just appears in white, you'd be like, Whoa! Right? Okay, I've done that with not angels. It's just like my wife jumps out around the corner and scares me. Uh, but the angel said to him, Fear not, Zacharias, for your prayer is heard, and your wife Elizabeth shall bear a son, and you'll call his name John. That's John the Baptist. And you'll have joy and gladness, and many shall rejoice at his birth, for he shall be great in the sight of the Lord, and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink, and he'll be filled with the Holy Ghost, even from his mother's womb. And many of the children of Israel will be turned unto the Lord your God. Their God. And he shall go before in the spirit and the power of Elijah and turn the hearts of the fathers to the children. All right, now listen. This angel of the Lord is telling this guy, not only are you getting a baby, this guy's coming back in the spirit of Elijah. There hadn't been a prophet here in 400 years. He's going to be the first one back on the scene. He's going to be the forerunner to Jesus. This is a big deal. Big deal. Big deal. Big deal. Now, verse 18, And Zacharias says unto the angel, Whereby shall I know this? For I'm an old man and my wife's well stricken in years. And the angel answered and said, Look, I'm Gabriel and I stand in the presence of God. He's giving him his credentials. He's going to get himself into a position of honor, right? Because he doesn't have the little graphics under the screen. So he tells him what his credentials are. Right? And I stand in the presence of God and I'm sent to speak unto you to show you these glad tidings. And behold, thou shalt be dumb or mute and you'll not be able to speak until the day of these things shall be performed. Why? Because why? You didn't believe my words. So look, here's God, right? He's been working since Genesis 3 to get Jesus here to get our equity back. Right? He waits 2,000 years to find Abraham, somebody who will give him his only son so God can give Abraham his only son, Jesus. We said another 2,000 years goes by. We finally got this thing set up. And now John the Baptist, the forerunner, is going to be coming. And this guy is going to screw the whole thing up because he don't believe and he's running his mouth. And the only way, look, God, listen, the only way God could stop this guy from screwing up what's about to happen is to make him so he can't talk. It's not just, oh, wasn't that a cool story? No, this guy's about to screw up the entire plan of God. That means there ain't no church age. There's no, I mean, now, how long do we have to wait to get Jesus here the second time? Because this doofus can't believe when Gabriel shows up and tells him something. Well, I just don't believe it. Fine, you're going to be dumb. You're mute. You ain't talking until this thing is over. This is the key of why we don't get healed. Because even if you said out the front gate, I believe it, and five minutes later you say, well, I still got it. Did you follow this? Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Jesus knew this. 
Man, it almost kept him from getting here. Good thing Gabriel knew how to tell it, you know, zip it, lock it, put it in your pocket. So Zacharias couldn't talk till the whole thing's over. Mm-mm-mm-mm-mm-mm. So look, you know what Zacharias did? He gets a pen and a pad and he starts writing everything down. Well, guess what? Death and life ain't in the power of the pen. Death and life are in the power of the... So listen, I'm going to give you... Here's a little thing for you right here, hot off the press. If you just got to say my whatever, don't say it, write it down. Write down all your little ailments and all the things that you don't believe will happen. You go ahead and write it down. And I guarantee you about three weeks from now, you'll go look at it and say how stupid that was. You ever write something down and read a letter that you wrote ten years ago? You pull it out of the closet and go, boy, I was dope back then. It's like looking at a picture of yourself when you had that 80s hair. So look, if you just got to say what's going on in your body, or you just got to say something that doesn't line up with the Word, just go write it down and don't say it. Because death and life are in the power of the tongue, not the pen. You can go write whatever you want. Just don't let it come out your mouth. Because you know, this is what Jesus knew this. And you know what? Even Jesus, because remember what? Jesus could not do anything in Nazareth because they didn't believe Him. Could not. I mean, you know, that same thing would have applied at this story right here. And they'd be like, well, I don't know why Jesus couldn't get her healed. It ain't on him. He can do it. Not a problem. So what he does is he knows enough to tell Jairus, shut it down. Shut it down. Shut it down. Now look over in Matthew 18, 18. There's another one that's been bannered about and thrown around a lot. It's also over in Matthew 16 and verse 19. It's called the keys of the kingdom, right? Quote, quote. Jesus said, Verily I say unto you, Whatsoever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatsoever you shall loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. What? Now see, the way I heard that talk was like, Cancer, I bind you. Okay, so now cancer is bound in heaven. Well, what happened if I lose cancer? Would cancer be loosed in heaven? There ain't no cancer in heaven, so it can't be talking about heaven. You understand there's three heavens in the Bible. There's the third heaven, which is where God's at, and that's where there's no sickness. Then there's the second heaven, which is the cosmos, all the universe. And then there's the first heaven, which is the atmosphere, the sky around this planet is the first heaven. That's the one this one's talking about. Whatever you loose while you're standing with feet on terra firma is going to be loosed in heaven. The sky, the atmosphere. In Ephesians 2, 2, it says that Satan is the prince and the power of the air or the sky or the atmosphere. It also says in Hebrews 1, 14, that the angels are sent as ministering spirits to the heirs of salvation. Now, both of those groups, you got Hell's Rangers, right, and Heaven's SEAL Team. But imagine that. I want you to imagine this. Whenever you say something, you lose something here on earth, both of those teams, those special forces teams, one from hell, one from heaven, are going to take their orders from you. And whatever you lose here, that gives them the right to go do in the atmosphere what they're going to do. Now, I know sickness is spiritual. I know death is spiritual. When you go say what God says about you, you lose healing. Now, heaven's SEAL team gets their orders. They get the gear up. All right, let's go get, you know and get going and start to move things around so that you could have in, the, in their atmosphere around you to provide for healing. And then two minutes later you say, well, I guess it didn't work. I guess I got this. So then they un- take their stuff off. You know, mission's over and Hell's Rangers start mounting up. And now they're going to get going. 
And you'll go back and forth of what you're loosing and what you're binding with your conversation. It isn't about, I loose this and I bind that. It's all just what you say. It's because death and life are in the power of tongue. It's all what you say. Is this making any sense to you guys? Then look over here, just a couple pages, back in Matthew 12, and verse 16, Jesus says this, But I say unto you, every idle word that men shall speak, they'll give an account or pay a price thereof in the day of judgment. And that Greek word is crisis. So look, every time you say an idle or a non-working word, you're going to pay a price for it when it hits the fan. You all ever run into anybody that will tell you, I know I'm going to get cancer, I know I'm going to die of cancer, or I got heart disease, there's heart disease in my family. Those are non-working words. Well, Andrew, what do you mean about non-working words? In Romans 4.17, it said that God is the one who calls things that be not as though they were. Well, what's that mean? Well, in Genesis 1.1, it said that in the beginning God created the heaven and the earth, right? And then it said it became without form and void and dark. So there's about 100 million years in between there. Satan fell, right? And, and darkness came over the earth. And then they decided God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Ghost. So we're going to recreate the planet. And then it says in verse 3 that God said, light be. And then light became. That was a working word. Because it was dark, and then he said something that he wanted it to be, and it became. Do you all follow this? If he said a non-working word, he would have looked out the curtains of the throne room out of heaven and said, well, it's dark out there. That's a non-working word. Did the word have to do anything? It's already dark. Him calling something that already is, the word that he spoke didn't have to do any work. You all following this? So what you say to your body, if you say how it is in your body, that's a non-working word. You're going to pay a price when it hits the fan, crisis, for saying non-working words. Meaning that there's a time lag for what you say and for when the payday is for what you said. Which is why people can say for years non-working words and then all of a sudden it all come crashing down on them. Because they don't see an immediate payment for their words. It's the same thing in the positive side of it. You say what God says about you and you say what God says about you, payday is coming. Talking about getting healed. You don't say your non-working words, I got this, I got that, take ownership of it, say it how it is. People go, wow, I'm just being honest. Well, I'm glad God wasn't being honest when he looked out the curtains of the throne room and said it's dark out there because earth would have never got light. (coughs) You all tracking with me on that? So, be careful of what you bind and you loose because your word has power in your life. And it has power in your body. Because whose body is it? It's your body. It does what you say to do. Most of the times, you do what it says for you to do. I'm tired, so I'm going to sleep. I'm hungry, so I get something to eat. Oh, we got to go to the bathroom. Control your flesh. Start to dominate it. This goes right down with healing. It's all your words. Do your words work? No, you know what? We're not eating now. We'll eat at this time, this time, and that time. This is all has to do with healing. Is what you, you set the course, because remember, circumstances don't dictate the outcome. Your response dictates the outcome. And your initial response will set the course for the thing. Does that mean it can't turn around? No, but how many know? I don't want to go down the path of sickness and death and then get to the end and be like, oh, now I've got to turn around and go back. And now I have a big fight to just claw myself back. 
So watch your non-working words. Now, so here we go. Mark 5 and verse 37, Luke 8 and verse 51. So they go, and he turns around to the crowd. He suffers no man. He allows no man to follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. And then it says over in verse 51 of Luke 8, it says, and when he came into the house, he suffered no man to go in and say, Peter, James, and John, and the father and the mother. So watch this, because here's the next level of this. So he got the guy to not screw it up with his mouth. But I also know that if Jesus isn't in a position of honor, then people won't believe him. And if they don't believe him, then he can't do nothing. He can't get it done, right? We know that, right? I mean, Jesus knows that too. Don't you think he knows that? So what he does is he tells the crowd, stay here. And when he goes into the house, he only takes his posse, Peter, James, and John, and he takes the mother and the father, because, you know, they have a stake in this, right? Verse 38 of Mark 5, And he came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, saw the tumult, and then that wept and wailed, uh, wailed greatly. So they already got the wake. And part of uh, Jewish culture is that you would have this big, they have professional mourners. What a gig, right? Freelance mourners. Whenever there's a funeral, you pay for them to come and everybody puts on a big show. Whoa! They're just grieving. and you know. So they got this whole circus going on outside, and that's what it is. It's a media circus. Because now it's the ruler of the synagogue, so how many know? I guarantee since he's you know, a prominent position in society, he's got to have extra wailers and mourners because he's important. So I'm sure they hired, you know, the, the bonus gold package. You know, they probably got, you know, the 1995 for three mourners and whalers. He got a whole multitude of them. I'm sure it's costing him a lot of money. Okay, and over in verse uh, 52 of Luke 8, and all wept and bewailed her. And then he tells them, don't cry. She's not dead, but she sleeps. What he said over here in Mark 5, verse 39, says, and when he came to him, he said, why do you make this a do and weep? The damsel is not dead, she sleeps. And so they all just, they put him in a position of honor, they believed and she got up. Do you think that's what happened? And they laughed him to scorn. They laughed at him. So that tells me these guys definitely are professionals because they went from boo-hoo-hoo to laughing in like two seconds. Right? So it was all put on anyway. So they could have stopped weeping. It wasn't like they were really grieving. Okay? They could have stopped right then when he told them stop. Because they did. They switched from wailing and crying and weeping to laughing at him. Why did they laugh at him in verse 53 of Luke 8? Because they knew that she was... They knew that she was dead. They knew that she was dead. She really is dead. And they know the facts are she's dead. And you... Woo, somebody get a straitjacket for Jesus. Because she ain't asleep, she's dead. And in verse 40 of Mark 5, But when he had put them all out, he took the father and the mother of the damsel, and they that were with him, which is Peter, James, and John, and they entered into where the damsel was laying. Why would he get rid of everybody else except Peter, James, and John? I mean, he didn't even take like Andrew or Philip or Matthew or Judas Iscariot. Why did he only take the three in there? Y'all ever wonder that? Why would he just take... Does he just like them better? He must just like them better. Remember back over Matthew 18, 18? Look back over at Matthew 18, 18. 
Whatsoever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatsoever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Y'all there? Verse 19, And I say unto you again, so he's backing up what he just told them. And what's he say? That if two of you shall agree on earth as touching anything that they shall ask, it will be done of them of my Father which is in heaven. So, well, wait a minute. Jesus takes three guys in there that he knows are going to agree with him he knows that are going to agree with him. Because I mean, no, I'm not sure the father and the mother are going to agree at this point. He just told them, shut up. But he's got three that are tight with him that he believes in them enough that they'll agree with him that he could get this done. And everybody else, he kicks out. He gets rid of all the unbelief. And anybody that doesn't honor the Word, he's the Word, isn't he? He's the Word. In the beginning was the Word. That's Jesus. He's the Word. Anybody that didn't honor him or didn't honor the Word is out. Because he can't get done what he needs to get done if there's anybody in here that doesn't honor Him and that won't agree with Him. This is a huge key. Because who are you surrounding yourself with when you need healing? Somebody that's telling you what all your symptoms are or are sympathetic to you and babying you and nursing you and really what they're doing is nursing the sickness. They're not nursing you at all. If they're, oh baby here, that's alright, and ring your little bell every time you need something and all that. Jesus kicks out everybody that's not going to be in agreement with him. Father, mother, they got to go in. They have the one have authority over the daughter. He at least shut down the disagreement with them. Even if they can't agree, they're not going to disagree. He got them to just shut up. And then he takes people in there. He don't go in by himself. He goes in there with people that will agree with him that we're getting this little girl up out of the bed and she ain't dead. She's just asleep, even though she is dead. Who are you surrounding yourself with? Somebody that honors the word. He only took people in there that honored the Word. He only took people with Him that would agree with Him that what He loosed, He loosed life here into her body, that it would be done. Y'all starting to get this? And it's all in just what your conversation is. It's not a big special deal. That's why I don't have a whole lot of friends. Because I'm not going to agree with you to destroy your life So if you call me up and you tell me it's all gone to hell in a handbasket, I'm going to tell you, no, it ain't. I don't agree with that. Or I might say something cute. Do you want me to agree with that? Let's all agree with that. Hang on, let me get everybody I can find to agree with that your life is going to hell in a handbasket. Let's all get together in a circle and we'll all agree. You all following this? It's just in your conversations. Who, what is going on in your life? This is a red flag. When somebody starts getting you off track onto something else, you all of a sudden entered into agreement with them, be careful, because the next thing come out of your mouth, they could agree with you. Well, now your life is going to hell in a handbasket, because if you agree that, you know, yeah, the economy's bad. I'm not saying the economy's not bad, but I'm saying my economy's not bad. Well, we'll never be able to afford that. <laughs> don't count me into that. Because I, I don't want my response to that to dictate the outcome of that I'll never afford that. There's not one thing out there that I want to say ever come out of my mouth, I, don't, I, won't, I can't afford that. Even if I know right now, I can't. I don't want to relegate myself to the rest of the time on the planet that I can't afford that. So please, if I say that, don't agree with me. 
Do you all track with this? And it's, it's about healing. Well, I'll never get rid of, you know, this, whatever it is. Insert whatever your infirmity is. It's really not sickness, because sickness you'll fight off, and it usually runs its course in a few days, unless it's something big like cancer, but usually it's infirmities that knock us out. What would diminish the capacity of us to live life? The old football knee? Well, I'll never get rid of that old football injury. Really? Should I agree with that? No. Not only should you have not said it, I definitely shouldn't agree with it. And you can see that all throughout the Scripture, where if it's wrong, we say it's wrong. We don't agree. Because what you bind on earth will be bound in the sky. What you loose on earth will be loosed in the atmosphere. The sky, the atmosphere, the thing around you, your environment. You all follow these? See how subtle it is and how quick we could get off and find ourselves in a hole. And it's really, it's not that hard. It's really because we view uh, what man thinks in a higher position than what God says is true. It's who we and what we honor. We might honor social and cultural norms not to be looked at as a whack job when I say, I ain't agreeing with that. Or when I say, yeah, I don't get sick. Who do you think you are? Oh, you're so special you don't get sick? Right. It's available to you too. You should be agreeing with me. Yeah, I don't get sick either. You see how important this stuff is? Just daily conversation. How, and this is why Christians get sick, even though they've been redeemed from the curse of the law. Even if they're not under the law, it'll be that quick that you could get in on the evil list with somebody, adversity, affliction, calamity, sickness. You start talking that, boy, it's real quick to agree. I mean, you're right on it. You know why? Why? Because that's how we've been trained and we've been brought up. Since the time we were little kids. That's why I'm excited about those kids down there. They're, here, they're, they're going to bypass a lot of junk because they're hearing from the time that they're little, they don't have to have that. You know what I heard in Sunday school? You know, like they were Bible stories, but it's like no different than, you know, any other like, you know, Tinkerbell or Peter Pan or anything else. They were just stories. No application. And that Sunday school teacher had been up there telling them what all their ailments are, getting us to agree with them. So be careful in your conversations who you agree with, what you agree to. And I would definitely take inventory. And if you're in a fight, you better surround yourself with people that are going to agree with you. And if you find yourself in a spot that you, they won't come up and agree with you wherever you're at, then agree, find out where they're at. Like we were talking about the other day, will you minister healing to somebody and they can't believe that they can get up out of the bed? then what can we believe? And that's when I figured out, well, we'll dial it down to when my doctor gets here and he prescribes his thing and after he gets off vacation, fine, I'll agree with that because all I need is mustard seed faith. It's not that hard. So I'll bring my level down to whatever you can believe for. Not try to jam, you know, jam something down your throat and get you, coerce you to agree with me because if you don't believe it, it ain't really, you're not really agreeing. So I find out what you can believe. The people that I'm... And if I gotta nail it down to, you know, you gotta wait, do whatever, 50 jumping jacks, you gotta take this supplement, let's agree, let's hook up. And I'll agree that you'll win this fight for healing in your body by doing whatever your process is. You see how it all fits together? And it's the easiest thing in the world to get somebody healed. It's the easiest thing. Once you know how to do it, right? It's just really, it's child's play. Kids will agree with you. Okay, I'll be, I want to be healed. If you tell me I've got to do 50 jumping jacks and I'll be healed, okay, I'm down with that. They don't know that it would, you know, that they, oh, wait, we've got to do, no, nah, that won't work. 
He's a child. That's why he said childlike faith. You just be like, yeah, okay. And make up what your process is. Get somebody to agree with that process. And get your healing. Because you've already been healed 2,000 years ago. Amen? Then, verse 54. Watch this. He put them all out and he took her by the hand and he called... That's Luke 8.54 and Mark 5.41. It says, He took the damsel by the hand and he said... Death and life are in the power of the tongue. You're not going to be able to get around it. You need to say and you need to call and declare. Do you all remember that from the last couple of weeks? Declare what you want to have happen. You can't think I'm healed and not say it. You have to say, you have to call, you have to declare. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, not the thought, not the ink pen. Remember, death and life are in the power of the tongue. If you want life, then you better speak it and declare it and call it and make it a working word and say what you want. Because a lot of people, they won't say it. Even if... I can't get them to say, Father, thank you that I'm healed. There's people I cannot get them to say it out of their mouth. They won't say it. For nothing. Fine, then die then. Why don't you curse God and die? Well, I wouldn't do that. Maybe die, but I wouldn't curse God. Well, I love Job's wife. You know what? I think she got a bum rap, man. I think Job was crying and whining and moaning. She finally just said, well, why don't you just curse God and die then, big boy? You know, it's that bad. Just blame it on God and die. Because you're whining and crying like a baby. You'll be like, well, what a horrible wife. I think she was a great wife. I think she just, you know, shoved it right in his face. If it's all that bad, then just go ahead and get it over with. Save me the hassle. Because I'm tired of scraping your boils. I mean, I'll go there with somebody. If you don't want to be healed, fine. Why don't you just curse God and die? If it's all, nothing, that doesn't work, this doesn't work, that doesn't work, I've tried to say the word, I believe God, then just curse God and die. Do us all the favor. Well, I can't believe you said that. Why not? Because you're saying that the Word doesn't work, that it won't work, that it won't work, you don't believe it, it ain't happening, blah, blah, blah. Then why do you even believe in God? You don't really, because you're not honoring Him. You believe in Him like you believe in Tinkerbell. Pixie Dust and, you know, Peter Pan. Grab the thing by the hand and call and tell, tell your body what you want. You've got to say it. I love this story, and I encourage you to go back and read it and meditate on it and see all these things that Jesus, you know, what he did in there. He shut, it, he shut down disbelief and he wouldn't let the guy talk and say, no, I don't. He got rid of anybody that didn't honor the word and believe it. He kicked them out and he surrounded himself so that people would agree with him and he got the job done. That's how you do the works of Jesus. Well, I don't know how he would do it. It's very simple. How many know it wasn't popular, though? Do you think when he ditched the crowd that they liked that? Then he got to the professional mourners and he kicked them out. They probably didn't like that either. Are we still going to get paid? No, I'm on time and a half. It's the weekend here. Right? Then all the relatives are kicked out except for mama and daddy. And all the house servants and everything. It probably wasn't a popular decision until... And straightway he says, get up. And she arose and walked and she was the age of 12 years old and they were astonished with great astonishment. Now he's popular because he got the job done. And then, I love this, he charged them straightly that no man should know it. Now, how are you going to pull that off, Jesus? No one should know it. And then he commanded that something be given her to eat. And then off he goes and he's on his way. Feed her. Don't tell anybody this story. I mean, they're going to know tomorrow cheerleading practice. (laughs) Right? I mean, you're dead yesterday. You weren't at practice because you were dead yesterday. Now today, you're back. What happened? I can't tell you about it. I'd tell you, but then I'd have to kill you, and then Jesus would have to come and raise you from the dead. 
Heavenly Father, I thank You for Your Word. Seal it in our hearts. Holy Spirit, I thank You for bringing this stuff back to our remembrance so that in real life, real time, that we could uh, red flag these issues as they come up and uh, that You would navigate us through the minefield that uh, uh, really hell and culture and society and man's way of thinking has placed before us and that we just uh, tiptoe right through that and get to the other side and enjoy healing and health. And I thank You for it in Jesus' name. Amen.